Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, we're continuing our series today, The Price of Victory, with a message entitled, Boasting Like a Fool. So turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 16 to 21, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. You've probably heard about court jesters. I mean, these were entertainers during the medieval era who often entertained noblemen during times of feasting and celebration. They told jokes and performed acrobatics and sometimes told stories. You might also know that a court jester was also called a court fool. That's because in the minds of medieval nobles, the jesters not only entertained, but in so doing, they degraded themselves. They were fools for hire, and the more foolish, well, the better. Now, in my mind, you have to ask who was the bigger fool, the one who humiliates himself for money or the one who pays to see it and roars with laughter while he's getting drunk. Well, the book of Proverbs has a great deal to say about fools. In a previous message, I have already indicated that Proverbs teaches that it matters not whether you answer a fool or whether you don't. In any case, the fool thinks he's overwhelmingly wise and that he's won the debate. But Proverbs tells us a lot more. Without citing all the references, let me give a short description of the fool. Fools look with haughty eyes. They engage in slander. They joke about their own wrongdoing. They're stubbornly right in their own eyes. They lash out in rash words that are like sword thrusts. They express no shame over their folly. They despise instruction and reproofs from people who are wiser than they. They love to pronounce their own opinions. Rebukes just bounce off of them. They're constantly involved in quarreling. They're quick to speak. They are often characterized by shouting. And especially as it relates to the section of Scripture we're about to consider today, they make great boasts about themselves. It should be clear from the short list that I've just given you that the book of Proverbs thinks there's no help for a fool. You can beat a fool and shut him up, but that's about it. But one thing should be abundantly clear. You should never pay attention to a fool or follow a fool. It leads to fights. It leads to ruin. And if as Christians we follow a fool, it, according to James 1.26, it renders our religion to be worthless. In our study of 2 Corinthians 10 and 11, we have seen Paul in a pitched battle with false teachers who have come into the church in Corinth. By God's grace, The majority in the church, who once may have followed these teachers, have now repented, and the church is returning to solid footing. But there's a persistent minority who will not give up their fascination with the false teachers. We've also seen that Paul has given us only a smattering of information as to what the false teachers actually taught. Yes, he mentions that they taught another Jesus, that is to say, you know, they denied essential truths about the real historical Jesus. And by the time these teachers finished their portrayal of Jesus, well, he hardly looked like the real Jesus of history anymore. That and of itself was insidious. They also taught a different gospel, which in my way of thinking meant they taught a gospel of works righteousness rather than a gospel of grace. They were about what human beings could do, not about what God had done in saving us. But as I have stated, Paul said very little about the actual content of their teaching. However, Paul says a great deal about the style of their teaching. We learned earlier that a great many people thought Paul to be a weak leader and the false teachers to be strong leaders. 
So we see that it was not the content of what they taught that attracted people. It was their confidence. It was their presence. It it was their ability to handle themselves well in public. In contrast, Paul speaks of himself in terms, well, of the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. He speaks about using his leadership to build up others rather than tearing them down. He thinks of good leadership as those leaders who lead for the benefit of their followers. He thinks that substance is greater than style. Paul was happy to forego a salary while he was in Corinth and rather received support from the churches of Macedonia who were poor and cash-strapped. That meant that Paul received a meager support, and so the trappings of leadership, which would have included the best of everything, was simply not the way in which he had presented himself. You know, all the more reason to reject Paul. Paul put his finger on the real issue. The false teachers, he said, were boasting about themselves, and at least up till now, Paul had been refusing to do so. But now when we come to our text for today, we hear Paul partake of boasting for the first time. Let's read our passage and then study it to find out what to make of it. I'm reading 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 16 to 21a. I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool so that I too may boast a little. What I'm saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools being wise yourselves. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you or devours you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. Now, you will remember that chapter 11 began with the line, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. But as we read what Paul actually wrote, we can see that his tongue is firmly in his cheek. He's not sounding foolish at all. He's appealing to those Corinthians who are following the false teachers, and he's saying, look, you're committing spiritual adultery. You're being deceived. You're listening to a different gospel. What follows is his urgency for the truth. Nothing foolish is going on there. But now in our section of Scripture, Paul seems to use the language of a fool, and yet he speaks very different than how a fool would sound. He's intelligent, he's calm and reasoned, and most of all, he's not boastful. The contrast between him and the false teachers would have been stark. Instead of being a self-promoter, he's concerned with the faithfulness of God's people and of the truth that's in Christ. That's why Paul begins with the words, let no one think me foolish. That is, have you been paying attention to what I'm saying and how I'm framing my argument? I'm about to defend my ministry, and you're going to think that as I'm doing so, there's no difference between me and the self-promotion that you're hearing in the false teachers. Well, then in that case, you should listen a little closer. Let no one think me foolish. Stop for a moment here and remember that it is not foolish for a sound Bible teacher or a pastor or a Christian leader to defend himself against false charges. But there's a world of difference between those who run around saying, oh, I'm the greatest, you know, because I've got the greatest listening audience and I have greater success and so forth, to the ones who are defending the truths that they're preaching. See, I remember years ago being on a board that is a council with a, a group of pastors. Some of them were quite famous, and every one of them was successful. But I watched an interview in which one of them, who had a congregation, I think, of about 600, interviewed two other brothers who had congregations of many thousands. 
I was stunned to see the two playing a game of one-upmanship with a pastor of 600. One of them said, we've got you beat. See, I mentioned that because the two men who were chortling about their success next to the other pastor, who, by the way, kept his cool, continued to be respectful, but I make mention of that because both of the two arrogant brothers have since suffered the loss of their reputation for their abusive behavior towards underlings. It's hardly surprising. If you want to be Christ-like in leadership, You're going to have to be Christ-like in all things, which does mean that we submit to each other, that we don't think too highly of ourselves, that we consider Christ's humility and in all things emulate him. Paul, in his fight with the false teachers, has been forced to defend his ministry. And he says, look, let no one think me foolish. And then he carries on. But even if you do, accept me as a fool so that I too may boast a little. He's saying, if you don't see the difference between what I'm about to do, if all you can now see is that I'm boasting, well, then fine, so be it. But then accept me as a fool, just like you accepted the foolish boasting of others. If you're impressed by self-promotion and think that's what I'm doing, well, then good. Put up with me. I'm about to boast a little. And with that, Paul starts in. Here is his CV, his resume, his credentials, the reason why he should not be easily ignored. Verse 17, what I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. In other words, I'm about to speak in a way in which I have no command from the Lord, or I'm about to present my credentials in a way that Jesus never did. One Bible teacher said of verse 17, most of those who boast do not realize they're doing it. It's a sign of grace on Paul's part that he did realize, and he saw it as foolishness. What is meant by that? Well, whenever we compare ourselves with others, we're boasting. When we say, I wouldn't do that, we're boasting. When we say, I can't imagine thinking or feeling the way that guy does, well, then we're boasting. We're portraying ourselves as moral pillars and the other as a reprobate, and sadly, Many of us don't even know that we're doing it. But Paul says, I'm about to do something and I'm fully aware that there's a great deal of folly in it. This month, Dr. Neufeld will continue his video series, The Missionary God, which airs weekly on Back to the Bible Canada's YouTube channel. We believe these messages are so important for believers that we want to send you the expanded message series on CD for free. We'll explore questions like, why is it that God can allow so much suffering in the world? And why has God commanded us to make disciples of all nations? There are so many challenging questions, and though they may make us feel uncomfortable at times, they require Bible-focused responses. So join us this month on air, online, via podcast, or listen on the Back to the Bible Canada mobile app. Don't forget to ask for your free CD copy of this important series by calling us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. Paul has been setting the stage for presenting his resume to the people in Corinth who still say, you know, that they prefer the style of strength in the false teachers as opposed to the weak-kneed approach that they see in Paul. In response, let's read verses 18 and 19. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. 
For you gladly bear with fools being wise yourselves. Notice Paul puts a qualifier around boasting. He is speaking about boasting in the flesh. That's a literal translation of Paul's words. Other translations are less literal and they say boasting in the way the world does. It's not a bad interpretation of what Paul has in mind. He's speaking about a kind of boasting that comes replete with what one teacher called a brash self-confidence. It's the kind of boast that says, I'm all that in a bag of chips to boot. I've got the mustard. I have capacity to pull off what needs doing. Others may fall short, not me. Now, Paul knows that that kind of talk is always foolish. It's madness. He's already made that point earlier in his letter to the church. 1 Corinthians 1, 20 to 21. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. See, in order to win the world, God did not resort to the kinds of methods the world favors. It was Blaise Pascal who once prayed, God of Abraham, God of Jacob, not of the philosophers and of the learned but God of God, God of Jesus Christ. That is, when God reached out to sinful humanity, he brought them near him. That action of God did not flow through the universities among the brightest minds that we celebrate today, but rather it came in the humility of calling the patriarchs and of choosing a people for himself out of whom would come the savior and the king born in a humble manger. That's the wisdom of God. The world responds, that's utter folly. The Jews said Paul looked for a sign, and the Greeks looked for philosophical wisdom. But, says Paul, I gave them neither. I preached God come to us in weakness. And out of that, a great host of humanity were brought to the Savior. That's the wisdom of God. And it's wiser than the human mind has ever conceived. And so when Paul says, I'm about to boast in the flesh, he's confessing that what he is about to do is actually according to the flesh. After all, and remember, Paul is speaking to the minority in the Corinthian church who seem only to respond to worldly wisdom. How big is his audience, they would ask? What's his track record of success? How many important people are listening to him? How good is he in front of a large crowd? What are the things that could be placed on his resume that would make us raise our eyebrows and actually listen to the guy? And since that's all you listen to, says Paul, well then fine, here goes. But before I lay out my credentials, please have a hard look at the kind of credentials that you've been impressed with. So examine Verses 20 to 21. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. See, I don't know about you, but those verses are stunning. Paul lists five things these people seem to like. First, you seem to like, says Paul, if someone makes you a slave. See, Paul doesn't explain what he means, although the Corinthians must have known what he had in mind. See, I think. Paul means these teachers put them in bondage to their doctrines as well as in expectations. I suspect the false teachers may have been Judaizers that taught that, you know, unless you keep the Jewish dietary laws, you can't be saved. So they were making slaves of their followers. In fact, they were even overseeing what they could and couldn't eat. Second, Paul says you also like it if someone devours you. I think Paul means they they devour them financially. They're great financial burden. Third, you also like it if they take advantage of you. 
And the word means that the Corinthians were being exploited. They were being used to further the gains of the false teachers. And fourth, Paul says you like it when they put on airs. I guess we're all different. See, I I don't like self-promoters, but I know there are a lot of people that do. They love people who are famous. I mean, for many of them, it doesn't even matter for what they're famous, just as long as they are famous. And they wouldn't follow people who aren't famous. They, They like it when people put on airs. And finally, fifth, and this is the hardest one of all to grasp, but they actually like it, says Paul, when when someone strikes them in the face. They like authoritarian leaders, people who put others down and shout at them and call them out and put them in their place. See, I know of one pastor who regularly used his wife as a negative example. And by the way, on that note, to all Christian leaders and preachers and pastors and teachers, do talk about your spouse. Tell the world she's beautiful. Tell them she's the apple of your eye. Communicate that you're committed to her, but never, never, never use her as a negative example. Use yourself in such a way, but not her. Let others know she's your queen and that you're not her critic. And the point of all of this is that Paul has noticed a curiosity going on. You know, he's noticed that some people like dictators. They like leaders who strong arm people. They they like it when leaders call people out and publicly humiliate them. They like it because their leaders are strong, at least so they think. And Paul knew that from the outset. But his style was gentle and tender, and that was seen by them as a sign of weakness. And so if Paul is going to boast, he's not going to be able to say, hey, you know, I can abuse people just as well as you can. Just watch me now. No, he doesn't do that. Instead, Paul does something very different. He's intent on being meek and gentle. So if he's going to boast to appeal to these people, clearly this is not the route to take. So what then is left? But to appeal to people who have forgotten who Christ is and what the life of Christ entails and what kind of a leader they should follow. And it's at this point that Paul jumps into his foolishness. 2 Corinthians 11:21 21b to 23a says, but whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I am talking like a madman. See, comparing credentials is talking like a madman. I wonder for some of us, did we not get that memo? This game of one-upmanship is so unlike a Christian. And yet it's also true that so very often, this is the game that gets played out not just in politics and business and sports and so many other fields of human endeavor. It gets played out in the church. Years ago, I was working with a young man, and we're helping him get ready for the life of a pastor. I gave him the pulpit one Sunday, and I must say, I was so proud of him. He preached so well. I knew God was going to use him greatly. I was greeting people after the service, and one man looked me square in the eye, and he said, well, you better watch out. That guy's going to take your job. And I could see it. He wasn't joking about it either. It's this attitude of constant competition, one pastor stealing people from another. You know, a church conference which proclaims someone superior to others. And then we create an environment out of the flesh. It's not just that pastors should stop doing that. It's also that church people should stop judging one person's skill set over against the other's. Why wouldn't it be enough if we demanded of our leaders not style, but substance, not flashiness, but commitment to a depth of knowledge in Scripture? 
What if we were to say, I'd rather have a preacher who knows the text well than one who's funny or one who gets the best heart-stopping illustrations and, and so forth? What if we demanded that each pastor carefully exposit scripture so that we would understand and apply it? What if that really was what we were about? Content and not style. See, we were all, without exception, going to have to train our palate to want for ourselves what Christ wants of us. For if we don't learn this lesson, we're really preferring the one who boasts like a fool over the one who heals our broken souls and makes us see Jesus in all his glory. What is it that you want? To grow in holiness or to be entertained? And even, as in the case of the Corinthian minority, to actually be abused. And so, taking upon himself the role of a fool, Paul asks, are they Hebrews? That's a reference to his ethnicity. Are they Israelites? That is a reference to the chosen people. Are they offspring of Abraham? And that's a reference to God's covenant. Paul says, I have all those credentials and more. And after all, Paul was trained under the very famous Rabbi Gamaliel. He was a rabbinic superstar. And then he says, are they servants of Christ? And here there's madness that reaches its zenith. He says, I'm a better one. Oh, how important for all of us to train our pellets. Stop being like the medieval nobleman. Stop desiring a court jester and retrain your pellet. Ask God to help you. Tell God, I long for the depths of scripture and I care not whether the man who teaches me is funny or dry. Thanks, John. You know, I would think it's important to take an honest look at our own motives and decide whether we're more drawn to style than to content. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's, uh, it's an interesting day, especially in our day, in which, uh, you know, we have learned to do uh, worship as performance rather than as congregational singing. Uh, and, and let me not get on my own track here, but, uh, you know, there are all sorts of things that lend us to think about how good is the performance that's being done in a whole host of areas, rather than to what extent does this cause me to truly examine those things that are true, reject those things that are false, begin to study the scripture uh, for myself, and to make sure that I'm clinging to that which pleases God. So, in a, in a day when entertainment has so infused the culture, we need to learn to be countercultural. Thanks again, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our study, The Price of Victory, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. past number of years, Back to the Bible Canada has been blessed to offer a unique Israel experience, a journey to the Holy Land under the teaching of Dr. John Neufeld, discovering first-hand locations across Israel that hold a place of prominence in the Bible. On every occasion, those who embraced the journey agreed it was a spiritual experience of a lifetime. Now's the time to plan ahead. In April of 2022, Back to the Bible Canada is offering our next Israel experience and you're invited to attend. Join an intimate group of brothers and sisters journeying across Israel under the teaching of Dr. John Neufeld. Experience inspirational events and activities that include laugh own Phil Calloway and special musical guests. 
For more information, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.